You're listening to an Anazal Ministries podcast. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to be around for the creation of your favorite universes? Have you ever wondered what it would be like to watch a lion sing things into life? Today on Systematic Ecology, we are going to be talking about, um, well, depending on who you ask, either the first or the sixth book in the Chronicles of Narnia series, The Magician's Nephew. Um, today's episode is for everybody. Um, we're going to be going into the origins of um, the the world of Narnia and things like that. And so this is going to be pretty uh, entry level for anybody. We are the uh, priests to the geeks. We are not ordained ministers, but we are priests in the biblical sense of being mediators. Uh, this isn't some kind of Trojan horse. This isn't a gotcha moment, but this is we are real geeks looking to explore the theological and philosophical implications of the things that we love. Uh, I am Joe. I am one of your hosts. I am a broadcaster, podcaster, and uh, recently I have been binging um, old uh, Japanese like tokusatsu uh, shows, different uh, different oh, like, live action things cool. like that. We did an episode a little while back on Ultraman, and it kind of got me into a kick. <laughs> That's awesome, and uh, I'm Dan, aka Superfan Dan. Um, I'm a home health physical therapist assistant by day and a podcast by night as I host uh, Finish Last. And uh, for me, uh, two things. First of all, as of this recording, today is my birthday, so woohoo! Happy birthday! Thank you. Thirty-three years young, and I already misplaced my name tag, and it was on my shirt the whole time earlier today. So I am just, I'm living the dream right now, but, uh, re recently moved into a house as well. And I forgot I had these, but I'll show them to you. And then I'll describe to our listeners here. I found my collection of Sonic the Hedgehog comics. Huh, nice. And it's awesome. Like what I have here is 226 to 229, where they took Sonic the Hedgehog one, two, and three from the original games. And then the last one, 229, he becomes supersonic. And then I found this one from 221. I just like the cover art. I think they're really creative with how they do it. And of course, I love the catchphrase, the world's most way past cool comic at <laughs> Sonic the Hedgehog. So I can't wait to get back into those. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, like I said, we're going to be going into um, The Magician's Nephew. Now, this is one of those conversations, right? When you hear about the Chronicles of Narnia, one of the things that commonly comes up is, well, what order do I read these in? And we originally, we were, go we were going back and forth about what order we were going to be uh, doing these episodes in. Um, we landed on chronological, but there's definitely an argument to be made for experiencing them in the order in which they were written. I know for me, I had not I, I the only way that I've ever experienced them is in chronological order. So that yeah. just seemed like the like the no brainer to me. Um, for me, um, I'm the exact opposite because I got into the series when the first movie came out in 2005. So everyone thinks that's the first book you should do because that's the one you've seen on screen. That's the one that makes sense. And like I told you uh, before we recorded, I thought The Magician's Nephew was book seven published when actually it was book six. So my, all my ideology of what order I should read them in has been completely been blown out of the water. So... For just just from my perspective, I still would love to read it in published order because if you were reading it back in the day, that's what you would get. And I thought it was very interesting that he wrote Magician's Nephew before he wrote and published The Last Battle, which is pretty much the ender or closing all the books together as one complete story. Right. 
Yeah, I can definitely see, um, you know, looking back at what the what the published order was, you know, I can see what he was going for, I guess. Like I can see the value in going into these books with the dare I say meatiest parts first. So that way it kind of gives you a hook as to what your what you're invested in, what you should care about, all of those kinds of things. And then after you've developed an affinity for these characters, after you've developed a sense of the world and the and everything, then explain how this whole thing came into being. Very, very true. But I mean I mean, what's crazy is that even in the original books, which my wife has, it even says in the back, editor's note, read them in this order, and the magician's nephew is one. So I can't really argue right. the fact that they even recommend that you should read this one first. But I, for me, it's so hard because I know I'm a big fan of the Hunger Games as well. And that author, Suzanne Collins, just released a couple of years ago a prequel to the Hunger Games that everyone read but you had to read the Hunger Games and all that first because this book just came out. So again, I, it's like the same logic almost. Right. So jumping in here, Dan, why don't you go ahead and give us the Sparknotes version of what this book is all about? <laughs> well, I'll try to keep it short. Um, the Magician's Nephew, it is one of my favorites. Um the magician's nephew is basically the main character. One of the main characters of the story, it's degree. And then he's got a friend, Polly, and then the actual, his uncle, it's uncle Andrew. And he somehow gets a hold of this magic that he turns into rings, a gold ring and a green ring. And he kind of forces degree to use it to save Polly. <clears throat> Excuse me. And to save Polly. And it's just a world. It's a whirlwind. They go to like the, the, world between worlds and then they go into this one world where everything's pretty much dead except there's this one table with a bell on it and it says if if you if you ring the bell be careful of what comes but know the fact that if you don't ring the bell you're going to be wondering the rest of your life why you didn't ring it <laughs> so i'm paraphrasing but that's pretty much the logic behind it he rings the bell it awakens someone named Jadis, who you find out later in the story, actually used something called the, again, I'm paraphrasing, she used the, the deplorable word that pretty much destroyed the whole town she was in. It was a word where if she spoke it, she would live and anyone else that was living would basically perish. So she's pretty evil. She ends up following the kids back to Earth and tries to take over the Earth, which I always found an interesting part of the story. But they still find a way. They find a way to bring her back. And then when they bring her back, they go through one of the pools into a world that's blank. And but the queen is or the queen that Jadis, who is the witch, is just blown away and she's really scared. And that's when, like you said, um, Narnia gets born through a lion or Aslan in this case, like singing and humming a tune and everything comes into existence um, and you just see the world of Narnia being created before your eyes. I think C.S. Lewis does a really good job of like what the creation of Narnia was like and how it was so surreal to that extent. And all the meanwhile, Diggory is staying with his uncle and aunt because his mom isn't doing well. And he's like, Aslan, what do I do? And Aslan confronts him with the fact that, uh, Diggory was the one that rang the bell I talked about earlier that brought about the queen, this witch that would later be the witch in the lion, the witch in the wardrobe. And he said, yeah, do something for me first. And he goes over the mountain, gets this, gets this apple seed or apple, brings it back. They bring him back to modern day. And the, he gives the apple to the mom. The mom gets healed with them month and then they plant the apple core and, and the rings that took him to Narnia. 
and a tree was made and then later they chop it down and turn it into the wardrobe that is the wardrobe used in the lion the witch and the wardrobe so that's the really short cliff notes version of what the magician's nephew is all about yeah this is one of those books that um you know it's it's all one well and good to listen to us go go over these things and all of that but seriously crack into the source material that we're talking about here because you know yes you can pretty much understand what's happening through the the cliff notes version that we can give here but this is one of those books that there's just so much meat on the bone that you can't do it justice by going through and trying to give a summary like that um, right. You know, there's so many different things here and you see with, I remember for me with the first time that I read this, I read the Narnia series a couple of years ago, right after I got saved and I yeah. had watched the movie. Well, I should say the movies when they came out and I, um, remember being in fifth grade and reading the Lion, the witch in the wardrobe. So I had been experienced to this world, but it's not like I had, I didn't really know anything outside of Lion, the witch in the wardrobe. And then a little bit, like I said, the, I've seen the other two movies once. And so for me, it was like experiencing this whole thing for the first time. And I remember, you know, understanding just enough to to understand the little the little curveballs and like the tie-ins like the witch and you know the the wood that becomes the the wardrobe and all of those kinds of things but i remember as i'm reading this story i'm reading the imagery of aslan creating narnia and this is one of those those areas where you have to believe that this work was divinely inspired. You know, yes, it came from C.S. Lewis. Yes, it came from a man. But I really fundamentally believe that this series was a, a gift kind of urged and inspired by God because short of the source material, right? Anytime that we, that we talk about these things and how these things tie in and the religious implications and all of those kinds of things, yes, the, the source material, the Bible is, is kind of, you know, it's first and foremost and all of that kind of stuff. But you're talking about a creation depiction that is just so resonant and so full of life and brings you into that moment. I remember thinking, I'm like, if they're if they were to do any of these movies, they've got this would make that 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 whole scene it would make a perfect depiction for a movie, yeah. you know. I don't know. This is one I wish they would have made into a movie. Maybe they will at some point, but it'd be really, really cool. I I totally agree with that. And um, I mean, I just love the depiction of how this whole book is basically Genesis. I mean, one of the parts that still gets me in the book is the part that I talked about where Diggory rings the bell, even though Polly tells him not to. And I can't think of help with Genesis. You have Adam and Eve. And God said, you can do anything you want in this garden, but you can't eat from one tree. One tree. And it's so easy to blame Adam and Eve. Man, I wouldn't have done that when I know full well I would have done it at some point because you don't know. You're so curious as to why you can have that. And, hey, I'm adventurous. We'll go, we'll go for it. So just seeing the consequences off of that is just mind-blowing. But if you look in chapter 12, and I'm going to do one excerpt from the book here, is that basically Aslan tells all the animals once they're created, yeah, this this world is seven hours old and there's already an evil in it. I'm like, well, well, that's great. Seven hours long. At least he lasted seven hours. But he says, specifically from the book, Aslan says, son of Adam, and he's talking to Diggory, are you ready to undo the wrong that you have done to my sweet country of Narnia on the very day of its birth? And Diggory says, well, I don't see what I can do. You see the queen ran away and he tries to have excuses. And then Aslan says, I asked, are you ready? He doesn't care. Like it reminds me just how God is with us is that God just wants us available. And there are times where I don't feel like I'm worthy, 
But he says, are you ready? Are you ready to do what you need for me to reconcile the wrong you have done? And that part just stuck out to me again, just so powerful, that allegory and that comparison to our daily walks and what we have to deal with on a daily basis. There are different parts of history, I'll call it, but specifically biblical history, where it's easy to take an armchair quarterback's point of view. You know, how could, yeah. you know, the the people of of Israel, um, how, how could they possibly doubt God or make a golden idol or how could Adam and Eve do this and that? And, you know, how could they, it, it basically comes down to how could these people fall into temptation and one of the things that i love the most about this book is it's relatable on a lot of different levels you know something like the lion the witch in the wardrobe okay you can you can see very beat for beat what what the allegory is what the story is follow the bouncing ball you'll get there i promise with this, there's layers, there's nuance to this, right? You you talked about the bell, right? And I'm so glad that you brought that up and, and how, yep. you know, you'll always be wondering if you don't ring the bell. Well, it, I, you get this feeling that Diggory couldn't, couldn't handle another what if, couldn't handle, you know, not knowing and those kinds of things. And so he rings the bell. How easy is it for us to... Just, you know, oh, I can't, I, I have to do this. And we, and trust me, the human mind can justify and go through logic leaps to, to, to make some really wild stuff make sense. Um, and that's part of what I think is so remarkable about this, because it's easy for us as Christians to look at something like this and say, oh, okay, so here's this part in Genesis, and here's this allegory with Adam and Eve, and here's where I can tie it into this scripture and all of those kinds of things. But what Lewis did was he created a work that somebody who is Christian or non-Christian could look at and say, man, if I was in his position, I think I would have probably ended up doing the exact same thing. Or, or hey, I can connect here. You know what I mean? And yes, then then here's to here's to hoping that you pick up the bread trail, the, the breadcrumb trail, you find out what all of this is about. Oh, hey, this is based off of this, and then so on and so forth, and and the seed is planted and and God does his thing. But at the end of the day, that entry point, you've created something that has an, that has a common in, entry point for Christian and non-Christian because you can relate on a human experience level. One of the things that stood out to me with with all of this is these this image that we're given of Diggory coming before Aslan, right? And Aslan saying, mm-hmm. by the hand of Adam and Eve was this evil done, and it will be mm. the hand of Adam and Eve that will help. And this whole time, right, you're feeling the weightiness of this situation. That's one of the things that like, man, if you are an author or if you are a musician and you can make me feel a thing, right? If you can make, if you can give weight to the situation, you've got me hooked. It's, it's that, that to me is so important. And all this time you're, you're feeling the weight of the guilt and the condemnation. And again, these those those words right like something like condemnation something like guilt those are words that are you know even going on to sin and stuff like that these are all concepts that christians you know that those that's all common common vernacular for a christian but when you boil it down past church terms these are all things that we've all experienced right we've all experienced guilt we've all experienced shame We've all experienced oh, yeah. condemnation. And he looks up at Aslan's face and he sees tears and compassion, right? Mm. He, see, he sees that Aslan is moved in love. And that juxtaposition to me where you can see like the weight and the experience and then the love aspect of it 
is just oh it, it's it's so mind-blowing <laughs> because it gives what the, it gives the 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 light of truth that all of this is built around a new context in order to view it and i know for some that can be kind of a kind of a slippery slope sort of thing i know if not that not everybody mm-hmm. really necessarily digs that because you shouldn't have to recontextualize truth mm-hmm. but to me yeah. as long as you're understanding you know this is about a fictional land and a fictional lion and no this is not the source material and you can separate this from over here you've got the source material you've got what is true all of yeah. those kinds of things then to me that's there's beauty in being able to express truth in a way that resonates and gets people talking and then can point them to the source the source material ah uh. Perfectly, perfectly said, because, I mean, like I'll say throughout this series, this is a tool that can help us with that source material. It's not something that replaces it, but it's something that is so beautiful in everything that's written. I just love the way he writes. And just another point in the story that always gets me is the fact that pride becomes before a fall and that humility is so, so key. I mean, I remember the bell again, when Jadis gets a, reborn or gets out of that spell um the first thing she says is how could you wake me you're not of noble blood and then she goes on to want to take over the world and all that stuff that evil villains love to do but what's crazy when aslan created narnia the first king and queen of narnia was a cabbie and his wife who happened to just fall into this random place with everything going on that's a crazy scene by the way so if you haven't read the book read the book but he's like, sir, I have no education. There's no way I can lead these these animals and people. And he basically goes through a list of, will you be the first one in a battle to lead the charge? And will you be the last in retreat? Will you treat others fairly? Will you treat others equally? And he answers each one with such humility. And he says, I don't know if I will, but when the time comes, I will guarantee you I will do my best. And again, I'm paraphrasing. But it just reminds us that God doesn't care about your accomplishments. God doesn't care what's going on. If you have a willing heart, if you have a willingness to do what's right in God's eyes, then he'll use you. And I just love that the fact that he was a cabbie with no education became the first king of this land that was just created. It just uh, it reminds me of the disciples with Jesus. He took 12 random dudes that didn't deserve to be have Jesus have following Jesus yet. That's the ones that Jesus used to create a beautiful story. I, it's so, it's so beautiful when you can see the, you know, it's, it's a story that I think subconsciously us as humans love to appreciate because of an inherent desire to understand truth. But it's this idea of the, um, the underdog, right? The, the every man that you, you boil down so many of these IPs that we, that we geek out about, right? So many of them are born out of a place of, they resonate with so many people because that's an every man story. I could relate to that. I, that could be me sort of thing. And you, you hit the nail on the head, even going back Before the disciples, we see a history of the most unlikely of people being the ones that God uses along the way. You know what I mean? Like everybody from Abraham to Moses to Noah to so on and so forth. And you could sit here and rattle off just about every single major character because you look at these people and you're talking about – uh, farmers, sheep herders. You're talking about people that you were that you don't you don't necessarily look at and say this person's a hero. This person's going to be used to change the world. But those are the exact people that God that God points to to God that God uses things like that. I want to take a step back because you had mentioned the uh, Jadis. My yeah. favorite part of this book is how uh, outside outside of the themes of it is how C.S. Lewis can so intricately weave between 
mustache mustache twirling villain and like larger larger than life big bad you know what i mean there are so yeah. many there's so many points oh, yeah. in this story where you know basically jadis is giving her bond villain monologue right this is my expositional monologue that of how i'm going to take over the world and i'm going to rule everybody and you will all you know b- uh, bow at my feet and all of those kinds of things it was honestly one of my favorite parts of the movie after i read the book because i went back and watched movies after yeah. the book and the movies do a wonderful job at making the witch mustache twirly as all get down and that yes. like that to me is is fantastic so when when you get a chance to see like what we enter into the story with her having the weight of dis- having destroyed her homeland and now the fox is loose in a brand new hen house and that's where we begin. That to me raises the the equity of the rest of the characters. Because if you're starting the big bad at this particular level, right? If you've given this, if you've given the villain weight and gravity and all of those kinds of things, as soon as you can ju- juxtapose that with your with your hero, with the protagonist then suddenly you've now allowed for that gravity and that weight to be transferred over to the good guy. And now you have multiple characters. Now, all of this is if you're doing it well, and which is to to me, when you look at building out the character roster for a series, for a world, there's a reason why. C.S. Lewis remains in the pantheon of the absolute greats. You know what I mean? There's a reason why whole uh, courses are formulated around how he did it and how he built out this world. Because to me, starting here, it's part of why I love this being the starting point for reading it so much, because you get a chance to see the birth of all of these these characters and this is what starts the path for the next six other books to come out to, to come through and by the end there's mm-hmm. just so much personality and color and vivid nature to this whole thing that you can't help but get immersed into it Oh, it's definitely a huge immersion experience. And I'll add on to Jadis. I mean, C.S. Lewis does a really good job of how truly evil she is. I mean, it's insane because the reason why the her town was destroyed is because she said the word, but it was after she already lost the war to her sister. And even describes in the book, the sister's running up the stairs and she waited to say the word until she was within hearing distance. And the sister told Jadis, I have won, victory is mine. And Jadis responds, victory, yes, but it's mine. And then she says the word. And I'm like, oh, that'd be so cool to see in a movie. But I was like, oh, man. I'm like, what a jerk. But again, T.S. Lewis does such a good job of how like evil and powerful this Jadis character is. And it's such a great precursor to her role in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. It's so well written and so well done. Yeah, and so rumor has it that netflix has the rights now to the yeah to oh, the, to being able to distribute uh movies and that's the that's the running theory our running um rumor right now is that netflix within the next couple of years is going to basically harry potter this series where they they just That'd be awesome bulk or not harry potter um they're going to uh lord of the rings the series where they just bulk oh, lord of the ring put out all of them in quick succession so that way they can they they can have the same actors play throughout sort of thing that's the that's yeah. the rumor going around there's also been dozens of rumors that have circulated since disney distributed the 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 trilogy back in the the mid 2000s which was very they were very pretty movies but to me yeah 
this is the secret sauce. This is the stuff that, you know, again, language in the wardrobe is what it is. And we'll, we'll talk about that. But when you're talking about larger, larger than life, you know, these, these scenes that just transcend the page that just cry out for somebody to be able to do them justice to me, if you have the right person at the helm for these for these movies and like to turn these books into movies in a coherent series, right? Not just grabbing the three most recognizable ones. And but I'm talking about actually investing time that we haven't seen invested since the BBC put out their audio dramas, which Again, read the books, but also if you're into audiobooks, that is definitely a suggestion. They do a fantastic job. But you if if you have that right person, again, you're talking about something that can speak to groups of people, not just for the it's this is not just for the Christians. This is not just for one particular yeah. group, but be able to pr- put out stories that I think will resonate beyond just the religious. Oh, so true. And I hope what you're saying is true. I want it to become reality because I think there's an audience for this. There there really, really is. Um, I don't know the official numbers from those three movies from 2005 to 2010 or whenever they were created, but I hope they follow the source material because I think one of the reasons why those movies fell off is that Prince Caspian, they changed a couple of things. And even when I was in the movie theater, I'm not going to say what it was, but I'm like, please don't do this. And then they ended up doing it. And I just face palmed and I said, no, follow the source right. material of the book. So I hope if they go down that path that they are true to the source material and don't try to change it for the sake of trying to please the audience. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Or to get scared, not to, not to tell too Christian of a story or anything like that, you yeah, know what I too. mean? But like, again, yeah, the ultimate, you know, if, if it points people to God, then, then fantastic. I just, the, the, the geek in me, sees the source material and is like, what do you need to change in the first place? You know what I mean? Why, why even bother changing any of it? If you're going to have the guts to make the, the most direct allegorical movie first, then you've already gone through the, the weightiest section of all of this, as far as the, the actual, um, you know, going beat for beat off of the source material. So from that point, now you're just telling a good story. So if you can do that, then why even bother? You know what I mean? With, with changing things up and all of that kind of stuff. So I too hope that if we see a depiction of this, that it is, that it is given that the source material is given the weight that it deserves because that's when we're going to have the best depiction of this, in my opinion. Totally agree 100%. And like I said, if you haven't read this book, read it. It's an absolute pleasure. Um, what's great is that there's a couple apps called Libby and Hoopla. They, if you have a library card, you can get at either of these apps and you can pretty much get the book for free on your phone for about 21 days. So it's awesome. It's great. It's how I read this book, Magician's Nephew. It is, it's easy. It's nice. And the illustrations of the book also make me laugh. Uncle Andrew and the way he was drawn is just hilarious. It looks like a science experiment right. went wrong, but, <laughs> but it's, it's awesome. Yeah, that's, that's one of those things that like, that's, you know, we, we're going to get to, to recommendations, but outside of that, like, that's yeah. just go ahead and do yourself the favor and jump especially if you've never if you've never read a narnia book jumping in here um in my opinion gets get sets the table for a desire to read the rest of them in you know in the best possible way so we've talked about the movie we've gushed over the mo- or we've talked about the book we've gushed over the book so let's talk about the implications of this. What is it that we're re- we got into some of this, but yes, you know we see 
we see Genesis accounts in creation. And again, that's that's probably the easiest to reach for metaphor and allegory that we see here with Aslan singing in uh, singing creation to life juxtaposed against yeah. God speaking creation into life. And we see that same kind of idea of the great deity using words to create and things like that. Now, that being right. said, that in and of itself is a beautiful enough depiction. But we also see brought to life this whole idea of how easy it is to fall into sin nature, right? And that's th- that's this word, mm. right? That not everybody likes to talk about is, is sin and and all of that. But when we take it out of the lofty, and we take it out of this context of you know everybody, and and we take it into the singular, we can really see how easy it is for humans to fall, for humans to make a mistake, mm. and what it means to seek honest redemption for what of it because we all like right we all love the or we all we all love the um the 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 underdog the story of redemption the fight back story all of those kinds of things trust me i'm one of those guys that works out every single morning to the rocky soundtrack i am that guy so like i I'm, i get it i'm right there too so you got you you got bonus <laughs> points for that one. So but but I think that when when we look at that it's because instilled in every single human being is a nature that is 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 the understanding that our nature bucks up against something. Not now now for for Christians we understand that sin nature versus the the versus God versus the Holy Spirit if we're saved and all of that kind of stuff we understand that that there's where the rubber meets the road but I think for even for non-believers there's still this feeling of understanding that what I did was wrong what I did I caused problems for other people and we can go down the road of mor- morality and yada 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 there's a million different offshoot conversations that can happen but at the end of the day, to be able to show that, I think, is powerful for people because it, it's a, it's an innate it's it's giving voice and lyrics to this innate understanding and allowing for there to be an entry point into being able to have that conversation without immediately being slapped with, you know, the full weight of. You are a depraved, broken creature and all of those kinds of things. You can walk a road to understanding that redemption is not an ugly word. No, and redemption is something that's necessary. And like I said, I'll bring it up with Diggory. And the fact he went on that journey to get that apple or whatever he needed to help heal what he had done. But before he did that, Aslan made him tell the other Narnians the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Because initially, Diggory Diggory didn't want to admit that he was the one that rang the bell until Aslan did a nice little snarl. He said, you want to to run that by me again? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and go through the process. And that's so true of life today is that if you want to be truly redeemed in something you've done wrong, you have to be completely honest before you could even take that first step to for to able to ask forgiveness of someone or to be able to heal the bridge that was broken. So just seeing that beauty in the fact that God is there to help us, but we have to first want the help and we have to first be ready for whatever happens after we say that to be fully redeemed and to give us a chance to prove to others that we have taken the right steps for that true repentance. And for me, every time I read that, it just, oh, it just makes me feel so unworthy because I know we've fallen short many times, no matter what, what, what it could be, but God gives us that route that if we are willing to be open and honest in any situation that God will help us along that path to truly be redeemed in his eyes. And, Oh, so good. So So over the holidays, we spoke a lot about, um, the simplicity of the gospel message, 
right? The simplicity of the story of Jesus. Yeah. And, you know, again, we've, we've gushed and, and I could keep going. We didn't even really talk about the other villains or the, the, you know, the world between worlds and all of these different components that make this, this whole world that C.S. Lewis has built so three and four dimensional. We, we can keep gushing and things like that, but if we're running into why is this book so impactful? What is so important about this message? When you look at the depiction of Asland and how beautiful that is, the reality is that God is a God that whose, whose character is unchanging. And sometimes there's this dichotomy that pops up between Old Testament God and New Testament Jesus. But they're one yeah. and the same. And and yeah. we when we look at historically man's shortcoming, because that's the Bible story, right? We have this figure pop up and we think he's the one and then he falls short. And then again, you know, X amount of years later, we have another person who, who steps up and is mighty and has a good run as far as as far as being a good godly person and then falls and falls short. And, and we see this repeated nature, but what else do we see throughout that entire time? We see countless depictions of God coming alongside his creation and giving an opportunity for honest repentance and reconciliation. And if there's any one thing past just reading a really good story, Right. I feel like I feel about Narnia, how a lot of people our age feel about like Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings and stuff like that. Like yeah. they're not yeah. bad. Like I'm not necessarily it's not about, you know, putting down those other IPs. But to me, Narnia's right. head and shoulders more fleshed out and a better all around story and all of those kinds of things. I know that's not necessarily the most popular thing to say, but but short of of re reading just a really solid solid story what what i what what i really hope is conveyed through all of this is that this is this is a wonderful depiction of what love and forgiveness and redemption and reconciliation and all of those things look like i promise you that when you take it out of the context of talking about the story and you put in put it into the context of God. There's not a comparison to how much more beautiful it is with God. You know, yes, it's it's great when you can have somebody who can, as best as you can, put lyrics to this, as best as you can, give some kind of depiction and some kind of picture about all of this. But at the end of the day, every single one of us has something to bring to the table as far as uh, something that we've done wrong or something that we need to uh, we, we need to have reconciliation about repentance about all of those kinds of things. And there is not a yeah, but with God. There is no bridge too far. Mm -mm. You can't mesh your way up out of the situation or anything like that. You can't do enough to undo the works of the cross. So with, 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 with this story, this story is born out of a place that has so much to talk about because what you're talking about once you've boiled down the characters of it all, once you've boiled down the IP of it all, and you're just left with truth, you are talking about the truth of the gospel message, the truth of God. Oh. And that is why there will never be enough words to say, to describe and do justice to how beautiful all of this is and how immersive all of this is because you're talking about the path 
to redemption. The only path to redemption that changes the story for all of us. Because without this, understand something. Without all of this, all we're left with is the fear. That condemnation that we talked about. That shame that we talked about. That guilt that we talked about. That that is the final word if we don't look what to those next steps to that source of reconciliation that source of love and when we turn to god understand that we can have the expectation that yeah you know what there are some things that we are going to get we are going to get uh um you know our I'm going to say punishment for, but I can't think of a better word. You know, there are things that are going to need to be worked out in each one of us to be able to advance to where we need to be. But at the end of the day, it's all in love. It's all in the spirit of reconciliation to the Father. Oh, that is so great. And I'm just going to go on the same lines. My hope for anyone that reads this book or just the series in general is that it starts conversations. It starts saying, oh, is this Aslan guy? Why is he written like this? I'm like, oh, there's a guy like that. His name is Jesus Christ. And just seeing the parallels and say, yeah, he died for you not just for the Israelites, not just for the people back in the day, but he died for you, that he took your place on the cross so that you can enter heaven and be with him forever and ever. And I love the fact that no matter what situation you're in, there's no hole too deep that God can help you out of. There's no path too wide that God can't help you find that narrow way. But just because you become a Christian, there's still consequences for those actions, but God can help you along that way. And then you can get plugged into community, whether it be us or whether it be a local church or whether it be whoever, someone that can help guide you towards that life of a Christian, because there's no perfect human on earth besides Jesus Christ. But I know finding people like me that have that same passion and that same joy and that same peace they get from Jesus, help me get close to Jesus and help me in the long run fulfill the life Christ has for me that I would not have had if I'd never followed these steps in the first place back when I was younger. So praise God for that. And just praise God for this awesome series that just reveals the true love and nature of Jesus Christ. And along that very line, to wrap it up here, this book talks about how Aslan's song sounds different depending on who's listening and the point <laughs> the voice of god can sound different for every single person and and these these implications and these themes and these truths can sound different and and a big part of that is because the gospel message is designed to reveal the heart of the reader the gospel message uncovers the fact that every single one of us is in need of redemption, is in need of reconciliation and all of those kinds of things. So if what you read as you are thinking about all of this and you're thinking about this whole thing of guilt or shame or whatever like that, and you're feeling a stirring and it's conflicting with you and all of those kinds of things, understand that that dig in there, allow allow some room to figure out what that looks like and let that breathe because that's conviction and conviction you know when when it's conviction it's a beautiful thing don't let it turn into shame don't let it turn into condemnation mm-hmm. don't stay there that's not the point but the point is to make that realization that man i i do understand what this is like and i need to figure out what what these next steps look like what flushing this out looks like all of those kinds of things because it's likely going to look unique to you and that's okay And if you are in need of some people to talk to about all of this, if this has stirred something, if this has impacted you or what have you, or if you just want to have a conversation about some of these themes and explore some of this stuff more, reach out to us. Do not hesitate to reach out to us. If you send a message on Facebook, you're going to get one of us. 
on there responding. Um, we'll we'll let you know which one of us you're you're talking to at the time. Um, but <laughs> but we're always here to be able to engage. That's part of like Dan said. The the hope is that this elicits conversation. And if that's if you have things to talk about and you want to continue on the conversation, that is exactly where we are hoping that this goes to. So don't hesitate to reach out. Agree 100 percent. Well, with all that being said, we are here for you guys. It's been such an amazing journey so far, and I can't wait to see what God has in store. But for now, we're going to wrap up this episode here. And I'd like to lead things off um, with one of my recommendations. I am a huge fan of Stance Socks, uh, S-T-A-N-C-E. Very comfortable socks. They're the official socks of the NBA. So, of course, me as a basketball player, I love them. But what's also great is they also have Marvel socks. So everything from Iron Man, Wolverine, X-Men, Spider-Man, all that stuff. You go on their website, you get whatever you want. I guarantee you they are one of the most comfortable socks you'll ever wear. Plus, you'll look super cool and awesome. I know going to the Spider-Man movie, I wore my Amazing Spider-Man socks, and I just, oh, I was right in the mood. It was fantastic. Um, Sponsored by Stance. No, um... I want to leave you guys with with a recommendation to, you know, first first and foremost, read the books. Sure. Yes, absolutely. Read the books. Yeah. Um, but if you're going to go with an audiobook version, if that's your thing, then serious look, look into the BBC recordings that that they that they made for these. You're talking about really probably the best instance that i've seen of bringing these books to life in some form other than the written word and i would include the movies that i would if i'm if i'm ranking the different versions of these i would have to put the bbc uh works above the movies in my opinion so definitely Mm -hmm. if you're gonna look at something other than the books check those out Awesome. Good stuff. And lastly, uh, just so people can be reminded, uh, where can they find you, Joe, and connect with you outside of the show? Outside of the show, I am the host of Buddy Walk with Jesus. Um, You right now we're we're going through a season of of guest co-hosts and things like that. So you'll be able to find myself and whoever I'm broadcasting with over at buddywalkwithjesus.com or um, you can look us up on Facebook where periodically we go live um, as well as going live on Facebook with Kingdom on the Road which is a panel show of Christians that I'm a part of. Awesome and as for myself I'm the host of Finish Last where we strive to find ways to live like Jesus in the modern world uh, you can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash finish last podcast. It's my uh, podcast page, as well as email me at finish last podcast at gmail.com. I'm welcome to anybody emailing me. That's an open door for anybody or my Instagram finish last podcast and my Twitter uh, finish at finish last pod. So it's just been an honor to just talk about this with you, Joe. But if you want to talk to us, you can just go to our website in the description to let us know what you have been geeking out on and what we should be geeking out on as well. And if you could just leave a review, just if you got something nice to say, please say it. If you got a critique, hey, help us out. We want to make the show better. Plus, we also want to make this show noticeable to other listeners so that we can keep growing this community that God has started and keep growing our geekdom together because remember friends we are a chosen people a geekdom of priests this was an anazao ministries podcast if you enjoyed this show and would like to learn more about our network be sure to check out the anazao ministries podcast network